Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, my name is Matt Budell. I'm a reporter with the Journal Star, um, and I'm joined here today by Division Chief Tony Artis, who is in charge of operations for the Peoria Fire Department. Thank you, Tony, for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've got a Sunday package coming up that I worked on um, that has to do with some firefighting issues, um, and I think the core of it really has to deal with uh, why it's important to have quick response times. And so we wanted to have you here today to sort of school us on some fire training and firefighting response issues uh, and tools and techniques and how it all works. And maybe some of it we know and some of it we don't know. So uh, again, thank you for being here. Um, why don't we start out and tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your history with firefighting and the Peoria Fire Department. I know you've been there about 24 years, you just said, right? Right, right. Uh, so uh, I got hired in May of 1994, uh, started at the rank of firefighter, obviously, and worked my way up to, through engineer, uh, captain. I was a captain for probably about eight years, nine years, and then a battalion chief for three. And then in January, I was promoted to division chief of operations. Congratulations. Um, a, a lot of you would also, a lot of people probably would also know you as the one time you were active in the union with the, with the fire department as I well was. when you were a firefighter. I was, I spent, uh, I was, uh, blessed enough to spend 17 years on the local fifties executive board of uh, 12 of which was president. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's just jump right into it. Um, I guess maybe we could start out, um, when, when, if there's folks out there who listen to the scanner, uh, uh, you know, and keep up with that stuff, and there there are a lot of people out there who li like that stuff. Um, when when we hear a call for a structure fire, m can you maybe outline for us what uh, a typical response from the Peoria Fire Department is going to look like, and maybe why some of the uh, some of those staffing decisions are made. Sure. So um, if, if a report of a structure fire comes in, the first line, which we call, uh, it's actually the first response would be three engine companies, a truck company, a rescue squad, and a battalion chief. Now, all of those, except for the battalion chief, will have three firefighters on there. So our first line response is 16 people, counting the battalion chief. Uh, the reason we do that, uh, well, actually, there's a multitude of reasons. We try to get follow NFPA 1710 as close as we, ha as we can. That's the national standard as far as what the response should be and how many personnel you should get to the scene. And just, I'm not, I don't want to interrupt no, you, but since since some of the of uh, the the story that I've been working on sort of talks about a little bit of the differences between uh, what career firefighters like you guys do versus how some volunteer departments operate, um, that NFPA standard, that's the National... National Fire Protection Agency. Uh, the 1710 that you referenced is the guideline for full-timers uh, versus, I think, 1720 uh, is a similar outline, but guidelines that are just a little bit different for the volunteers. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, all right. Sorry. Correct. Go ahead. No, not at all. So what we try to do uh, for safety purposes and for efficiency purposes is try to get as many personnel to the scene as quickly as we can. And there's a, there's a variety of reasons why we try to do that. The first, obviously, is uh, as we 
we talked about, fire doubles in size every 90 seconds. So for every 90 seconds that you are not on that scene, and the clock ticks as soon as that fire starts, for every 90 seconds that fire is doubling. That's an ex- um, exponential growth. It, it yeah. Very, very large growth. And so it, and it happens very quickly. Um, so the faster, the faster we can get there and start taking care of the issue, the less damage to the, to the residents and the property, obviously. Um, a bigger reason is life safety. Um, obviously, uh, people can't survive very long in a house fire. And, you know, the reality is, is it takes a lot of skill plus a lot of luck to save someone for a house fire. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, that's why we always preach that fire, smoke alarms are so vitally important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we have saved several people from house fires. We've lost people in house fires. Um, so, uh, but the reality is, is you have to put yourselves in a position to have the best opportunity to save that, that, that individual or individuals. So that's the bigger reasons we get there. So we try to get there so quickly and try to get so many people. And then the other reason is it, it's a firefighter safety issue. You know, the more people you have on the scene, the, the bottom line is the safer your firefighters are. It's an inherently dangerous job. When you guys get on the scene, how, how do you deploy? Um, we were talking earlier about the, is it three people on a... Three people on a machine. On Correct. a machine. And, and, but those three first three guys roll up, not all three of them go to search the house. What, That's correct. Tell okay. us how that works. So the first engine that gets on the scene, um, what they do depends on the situation. So if it comes in as someone is trapped inside or they believe someone is trapped inside, that first engine company with the three firefighters, they don't catch a hydrant. They go right in. Okay. Those first two firefighters will go in. The captain and the back end person will go in. Um, if if um, if it's they're unsure or there's a report of no one inside, Side, that first engine will stop and catch a hydrant, which means the back, the hoseman, the firefighter, mm-hmm. will catch the hydrant. He'll stay at the hydrant. The other two will go forward in the machine. The driver, who we call the engineer, actually stays at the pump panel, and the captain is the one by himself or herself advancing the hose line in. Okay. Okay. The second engine company will come in, and they will always catch us a hydrant, regardless of the first engine company did or not. And, re- and regardless of whether doesn't the, the status of, of possible victims, they second second machine will catch a hydrant gotcha. because we for for two reasons. One is if someone is inside or believed to be inside. That first engine company didn't catch one. Right. So we have to. The second reason, even if they did catch one, that second engine company, it's imperative to get another hydrant just in case that first one's bad. Okay. So we always try to do redundancy in mm-hmm. that respect. Um, the first truck company that gets on the scene, again, depending on the situation, um, if someone is inside, they will be responsible for the initial uh, search. Um which which makes it difficult because a big truck company responsibility is cutting the utilities, turning the gas off, and cutting the uh, the electricity. For any of for any firefighter out there who's been in a house where the electricity has not been cut and water starts getting sprayed, you know how vital that truck company is and how important it is to get that electricity cut because it's not a good feeling when uh, when that doesn't happen. So, um, so and there's three people on that machine as well, and they have the initial three or four minutes of that truck company is, is just ridiculously busy because of all the things they have going on. Um, follow it up with the third engine company. Um, they'll usually pull, um, they'll help with the search or mm-hmm. pull a second hand line in 
in which we call a backup hand line okay. to make sure fire does not get behind that in, that first engine company. Right. You want to keep it contained at, the, exactly. at a minimum, right? Exactly. And, and the, what, what people don't understand is that fire is, is very similar to water. Water goes where there are openings. Fire is no different. Hmm. So when it comes to construction... If if there's been additions made, if um, the floors have not don't go all the way to the wall, we call that balloon construction, and fire will go all the way up. So a fire could originate in the basement, and next thing you know, it is in the attic. It might not be on the first floor, it might not be on the second floor, but it's all the way up in the attic, and that's moved because up, of possibly voids. through a wall exactly. or something like that. Okay. Exactly. So that's why uh, you know it's that's another reason why it's so important to get to it as quickly as you possibly can because it just moves so rapidly. So uh, you know, you mentioned sort of the construction variable or uh, factor, you know, determining to some degree how quickly fire spreads. Um, you know, I, I guess when I look at that, I think of it two different ways. There's there's the construction materials and techniques that have changed over the years uh, that possibly contribute to contribute to that, but also um, just uh, you know changes in um, in architecture styles where. Uh, you know, I think that older homes were probably a little bit more segmented, right? Um, and newer homes, they, you know, like we were talking about earlier, have uh, lots of just you know open great space. spaces, open spaces. Um, so maybe le- if you could, um, let's talk about the, uh, the the form of houses and how that affects the way fire grows first. Okay, what, what, how do those? So variables work together. Okay, so um, you know when you look at the older homes, they were really built very solidly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, heavy duty uh, heavy duty material. Um, whereas the newer construction houses, when you start moving out to the northern parts of the city, uh, the newer constructions we call that lightweight construction. Okay. So they have what we call lightweight uh, trusses for the roofs. They use gusset plates, which is simply just a you know, like a, not even a metal plate with a bunch of tacks in it, and that's how they connect those trusses. And we call them firefighter killers because what happens is is they fail in an incredibly short period of time. Hmm, okay. So what you see in these big, nice, huge houses is they will fail much, much quicker than the older houses. And, and I, you know, it's funny because you hear people say, man, it's a brand new house. How could it, you know, go up like that? Well, that's how. Yeah. It's because it's lightweight construction and the materials, the connectors and all those things that they use fail like that. Well, and, and even the dimensional lumber is, isn't the same. A, a two-by-four isn't a two-by-four right. anymore. Right, exactly. Um, and, and I guess... Uh, there's also, I mean, so much more reliance on plywood and particle board and that type of thing in modern construction materials. That that burns faster. It burns faster, and it's all about dollars. I mean, mm-hmm. without question, that's the the uh, the motivating factor with regards to using these type of materials. Is it cuts down on construction costs. Sure. Um, and but it's very detrimental for us, and especially in Peoria, where our our fire coverage out in the northern um, parts of the city is is um, we struggle a little bit just because it's so vast. Yeah, you cover um, a lot of territory. We cover a lot of territory. So when you're talking about engine twenty or engine um, fifteen engine 19 with some 
20s up on Wilhelm. 20s on Wilhelm, okay. 15s on Detweiler, okay. and 19s on Frostward. Okay. They, yep. they have some areas in their territory where they're going to be alone for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's, it's not an ideal situation. Obviously, the, the budget is what it is. But um, we, we, really, uh, we really need to start looking at that part of the city. But getting back to the construction you mentioned earlier, um, a lot of great rooms now, mm-hmm. the wide open spaces. Yep. Um, fire loves those type of things because there's a lot of oxygen, a lot of air, and that's how fire grows, as we know. So, um, it, you know, there's so there are so many variables to why newer construction is is very dangerous for for firefighters. Okay, um, and in and in, in terms of that that element of danger, um, you know the the amount that I guess some of the materials that are used, not only in the construction but just what what you find in people's furniture now um, is a lot of synthetic fibers, um, you know, uh, these man-made petroleum-based materials, plastics, lots of plastics. And, and when those burn, I mean, that's much more dangerous in terms of uh, inhaling that stuff than, you know, burning lumber, I guess. Yeah. Untreated lumber, you know, it's not good. Nothing's good. You know, none of that smoke is good to inhale. But right. this stuff is particularly dangerous. I mean, it releases some uh, really toxic um, – Byproduct formaldehydes, benzenes, um, hyd- hydrogen cyanide—is that? Uh, yeah, that's out there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that—that's what leads to the to the most injuries, right? I mean, it, when you when you're talking about particularly fatal fires, I mean, it's usually from smoke inhalation, without question. Okay. Yeah. The majority of uh, the majority of fire related deaths. Um, the autopsies reveal that they died of smoke inhalation, not from the burns themselves. Um, you know, it, it, we talked earlier that, you know, everything needs to go right in order to save somebody from a fire. But it's imperative. We've always looked at it as far as Peoria goes. It's imperative to put those victims in the best possible position mm-hmm. uh, to be saved. And that means getting firefighters to the scene as quickly as you possibly can um, and and doing the job of going in and trying to find them. What's the, uh, in terms of that smoke inhalation risk, I, you know, I think you had mentioned a little bit earlier, we're talking brain death in a matter of minutes. Four to six minutes. Um, once once the, the patient stops breathing, or the victim stops breathing, brain death occurs in four to six minutes. So we may be able to go in there and get them out and revive them, but they will not... Chances are they will not be neurologically intact. Mm, it just it all depends on on that response time. Right. Um, is there you know is there anything, and I there, there may not be um, specific to the Peoria area or the or the region or the Midwest in general that contributes to fire growth in terms of you know I I, I think in some areas probably more rural areas that don't have uh, natural gas lines going to their homes they might have propane big propane tanks or natural gas tanks. Mm-hmm. Is there is there anything like that that you guys come across regularly in Peoria that that is is specific to this area that's dangerous that that yeah you know uh, we we run into a lot of residences uh, that that have oxygen bottles because of people with pulmonary issues mm-hmm. um, and although. Um, generally speaking, it takes a lot to get them to explode. Yeah. We have had, we've probably had two or three fires over the course of my career. One jumps out of my mind down on the south end where, um, as our first initial firefighters were going inside, there were bottles exploding and, and they're like missiles. Um, so those are dangerous. Um, you know, really outside of the construction materials we talked about, probably the biggest contributor to um, fire growth is accelerants. You know, when we talk about our 
Anderson and things of the, and things like that where um and, and that's where we always when we arrive on the scene and the house is fully involved without question it's going to be arson mm-hmm. just because we're fortunate enough to to respond fairly quickly um so accelerants are what we face the most now you're right rural area is completely different but as far as Peoria goes um when 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 a fire is full, when a fire is way involved, when we get there, it, we're we're ninety nine point nine percent sure accelerant was used, or uh, a gas line was ruptured. But chances are that house will not be standing if it was a gas line ruptured. Sure, that would be, that would be, that'd be a whole be, whole different yeah, set of problems. Um, actually, you know, I was I was going to sort of get to that. Um, you know, in terms of the sort of the the common causes of fires, we're talking um, smoking materials that were you know left. Uh, so candles, cigarettes, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, food on the stove, right? That's that's another real common one. Right. Uh, electrical. Electrical's big. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah and so, l- like you said, when, if you guys roll up and there's already fire going through the roof, chances are that was an accelerant was used, you know, spread all through the house, so everything went up at once. When you see those fires that be- begin at a single point like like that with electric or, or, or food on the stove or something— um, how quickly does that grow? I mean, well, it, uh, a lot of it will depend on the material that's around that area. Okay. Um, you know, w- when you see, uh, you know, one of the biggest reasons that you'll see food on the stove, maybe consume a kitchen is because most of the time there's a window right there with drapes. And so our curtains and, and that will catch that or there's cabinets right above it. So a lot of that will depend on what is around the area, in the immediate, in the immediate area. And so, um, you know, even a even a small spark from something, if you have boxes around that area, it could it could start a full you know a full fire. Um, so that's why really we stress whether it's at a business when we do business inspections or or in residences is to keep areas like that free of of cardboard boxes free of any debris in the event something did happen, it will minimize the, the possibility of a fire starting. Okay. Um, what, what is the, I mean, do you have recommendations for, I mean, obviously that, that's a very general one. Do you have any other recommendations for homeowners? I guess if you said electrical is a pretty common problem, what... Where, where do a lot of those fires originate? What can people do to avoid stuff like that? Well, uh, you know, the things that jump out to me are, you know, when it's real hot, and real cold, we see a large growth in fires. And, and the reason being, when it's real hot out, we see people overloading circuits. Um, you know, they so they've got the air conditioning, air conditioning on, fans. fans, you name it. All they use zip cords, which is those those real thin extension cords. We call them zip cords. Um, and what and that's just you you can't plug anything big into those because it will start. I mean, without question, they will fail and start a fire. So that's what happens when it's real uh, hot out. Uh, when it's real cold out, unfortunately, what we see is uh, the the lower income folks using their stoves and the ovens to heat their homes. They use candles, um, space heaters, space heaters, things of that nature, and and so you know we really see a large growth, and, it, and it's and it's unfortunate, obviously, but um, the only thing we could recommend with regards to things like that are using using those safety uh, extension cords that have a trip on them if they get overloaded. Um, you know, try to upgrade. I know it costs money, but try to upgrade your your, uh, your electrical box from fuses to breakers, um, and then just general housekeeping. You know, it's it's incredible some of the houses that we go into that uh, 
that are just, uh, just packed. packed. Yeah, that's yeah. A lot, and that's a lot of fuel for the fire. It's a lot of fuel for the fire. It makes it de- very difficult for the occupants to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there was a there was a thing done. A lot of people think that, well, if my house catches fire and it fills with smoke, I've lived here for 15, 20 years. I, I know my way out. I'll be able to feel my way out. What they did, uh, we did a, a thing probably close to 20 years ago where um, uh, we smoked up a family's home. Obviously, it wasn't real smoke mm-hmm. um, during the middle of the night while they were laying down. And they knew this was going to happen. So this wasn't even a surprise. And they still got lost trying to get out of the home. So um, we're it, a little overconfident. A little overconfident. Yeah. But okay. you, you, you throw in the you throw in the anxiety, um, the stress of the situation. And again, this is something that they were, they were prepared anticipating. for. Sure. So you throw you throw the fact in that you're not anticipating it, that it's a real situation that smoke alarms are going off uh it's it's difficult enough to get out of a, a residence without all of that other material in the way okay well um you know we we covered a lot of bases here um you know just sort of going back to the to the basics and and you brought it up several times that the the key issue is to, to is the quick response get firefighters there as quickly as possible um what are some of the what are some of the impediments to that? I mean, what what might slow you guys down? Uh, traffic, not you know, traffic does. Uh, we've been pretty lucky as far as citizens paying attention to our machines. Car call volume, um, you know, our, our we're over twenty thousand calls a year, um, and we basically have the same personnel as we did in eighty six, where we ran five thousand mm-hmm. calls. So call volume is is part of it because what happens is, is let's say there's a there's a house fire. Um, down in the forest territory, which is um, far south end. Okay. Um, uh, engine two is a very m- busy machine, which is which would be the next engine company. And engine three up at Bradley on Armstrong is a very busy machine. So uh, you know, whereas in the past there was a strong likelihood where there's these these machines would be in house. That's just not the case anymore because we're doing so many more things and, and EMS we, calls that type of EMS thing. calls. Uh, you know, we do. You know, we have divers, we have hazmat, we have um, trench rescue, high angle. Um, so there's just a, so many things that we're doing now, and then. Tr- Training associated with all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say that's one of the impediments. That's probably the biggest one is is the fact that um, you know we our call volume has, has increased has, has so increased much. So much. Um, but you know I, I can't state enough how important it is. You know every tactic book out there, um, their number one thing that they say is uh, the most important things for a successful outcome is getting as many people there as quickly as you can. And so that's what we follow. Um, and it's not you know I, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said. It's not just for the citizens, although that's our biggest concern. It's also for the safety of the firefighters. Um, you know there, it's a proven fact. That injury and death is directly correlated to the amount hmm. of firefighters you have, and then that's a proven fact. So um, the li- the likelihood of of injury goes up goes with up the, with exponentially. Okay, without question. Um, and so we take that as administration of the fire department. We take that with the utmost seriousness. You know, the last thing we want. This is already an inherently dangerous job. Sure. We don't want to add to that by not getting people to the scene when we need to. And that's that's probably the biggest reason why if there's a house fire in the forest territory, we don't call. 
call engine 19. We don't call engine 20 who are coming from the far north side. Mm -hmm. We're calling engine two, engine one, engine three to get them there to protect our firefighters and knock the fire down. What's the most, what's the most common injury firefighters sustain? You know, a lot of cardiac issues. Um, you know, it's, it's a highly stressful job. You're actually, you're, you know, you're working in a, a less than pleasant environment, high heat, you have 75 pounds of gear on and a lot of stress. Um, the city has done a good job. You know, we used to have uh, the, the toners that we would get um, to notify us of a house fire or, or a, a, an EMS call or whatever it may be. It would, it would go from silent to blaring. And that stress on your heart going from, you know, a relaxed state to an incredibly stressful state is, is terribly detrimental to your cardiac health. Well, and I think no, probably no matter how much experience or training you've had, you, you, you can't get rid of all the adrenaline exactly. that pours out. Exactly. You may handle a little bit, little bit better, especially when you're talking about, you know, if a house fire comes in where it says someone is trapped. You know, we always consider a house to be occupied until we prove it otherwise. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about that situation, when you talk about a child being involved, whether it's a medical call, a car accident, um, those always get our adrenaline going. You know, shootings, um, you know, any kind of violent crime. But, uh, but you're right. No matter how seasoned you are, you can't control control the fact that that's an anxious moment mm-hmm. and, and you're going to react that way. So I would say cardiac, um, a lot of knee injuries, um, uh, a lot of falls. You know, we have guys fall down, firefighters fall downstairs quite often just because, you know, it's really dark. Chances are you got, a, you got a mask on, you have a mask vis- on, your visibility is impaired. Visibility yeah. is usually zero yeah. and you've had stuff falling from the ceiling. And so even though you know or there's stairs, there's still stuff It's not a everywhere. clear path. Right. right. Holes in floors. You know, we've had several firefighters fall through holes in floors and go into the basement. So there's a, there are a variety of injuries. So the last thing we want to do is compound that risk by not getting people there in a, in a quickly, quick manner. Very good. Well, um, I'm running out of questions real quick here, Tony. Uh, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think people should know about uh, any issue with firefighting, local or, or just general? No, I would say, you know, you, you covered all the areas, Matt. You did a great job. And the only thing I would stress is obviously continue to check your smoke detector batteries. Smoke detectors save lives without question. Get a uh, Make sure your kids are learning their address and, and, uh, and, and the street that they live on, and then have a game plan in the event something does happen, whether it's a, a medical emergency or whether it's a house fire, have a game plan and be ready for it. Because, you know, to think that you're going to be able to think of these things when the incident actually happens it isn't going to happen. So have this ready beforehand and uh, stay safe. Practice it. That's right. Chief, thank you so much. Matt, thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.